to be honest with you, uh, no recruiting coordinator is going to find you a scholarship. All they're going to do is send out information. And that's exactly what you can do as a parent. Today, we are very excited to have Jason Nicholson, who is the executive director for TAV Volleyball or Texas Advantage Volleyball. He is also the former executive director of Drive Nation Volleyball, also based here in the DFW area and has been uh, a coach in both the high school and club scenes for probably going up around uh, two decades now. We are very, very excited. So without further delay, let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the club. This podcast is dedicated to club and travel sports. I'm your host, Matt Gildon. I've spent the past 20 years getting my three kids through the sports landscape, through club and travel, all the way through to college recruiting and even a little bit beyond. There's a lot to cover in club and travel sports world, so I'm super excited to jump into it. We're going to cover it all. And again, thanks for joining and welcome to the club. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time out of your your schedule. I know you've been super busy, but we're very excited to have you on uh, on the podcast today. How's everything going? It's going great. Uh, it's been a crazy uh, month uh, in finishing up June and, and July in the volleyball world, but uh, finally settling down and hitting camp season. So it's going great. Yeah, we'll talk about camps here in a second, but just to kind of start off on the right foot. So I know you are the former director of volleyball for or executive director, I probably should say, for Drive Nation. And uh, I believe you've come back to TAV in the, the same role, executive director. Uh, how's that transition been? Uh, it's been good. And in and, and our world, it's tough. The way the, the seasons somewhat overlap, obviously any transition, whether it's players, coaches, uh, administrative staff is, is a, a challenge. But uh, we're finally kind of getting everything cleared out, I've made the full transition into the, the new role and uh, ready to roll. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of what are the typical – duties as a parent you know in the volleyball world you kind of just focus on the the practice and the games and the tournaments and the travel and the fun so from executive director what happens at that level you know behind the scenes that maybe folks don't know about yeah uh you know staffing uh obviously is a huge piece i think that's a a key element uh, and, and how you construct your staff annually is huge um you know obviously a club of our size uh this year it looks like we're gonna have 26 teams and our main uh, facility. So staffing uh, head coaches, assistant coaches for that many teams and, and quality, you know, finding the best quality uh, candidates is obviously key. Uh, budgeting, figuring out how much, uh, you know, with especially in today's financial climate, trying to budget, make sure teams are we're, we're budgeting the accurate uh, expenses and things like that. So we know where we're at. Parents have a uh, a good idea of what we're doing is we're moving in tryouts. That's a big piece of what we're doing kind of right now. And then obviously tryouts and personnel uh, from a player standpoint, that's, that's been kind of the, the main focus through the month of May and into June and uh, really closing that the beginning of July. So. Yeah. So did tryouts, did they happen before the end of the season or I think it used to be you come back from nationals and pretty quick have tryouts, but how did the tryout calendar fall relative to wrapping up the season? That's a true question. In our region, uh, the way the, the bylaws are written is trials are supposed to be the Saturday following the last day of nationals. Well, the last day of nationals this year fell on a Thursday. So we had one day off and then we had tryouts on July 8th. In uh, saying that, I mean, obviously we have what the, we call these pre-trial clinics through the month of May, June, mm-hmm. uh, invite clinics. Things are starting to kind of get brewing um, as, as, as kids are prepping for nationals um they're also kind of looking to figure out what they're going to do moving in, into next year and uh the region has rules in place as far as making offers and things of that nature but a lot of times kids kind of good idea what they're kind of going to do before we get to that tryout date so uh, to, that's kind of a tricky question whether uh you would say tryouts occurred before or after nationals they officially happen after nationals mm-hmm. uh, but there's lots of kind of kind of figuring the pieces out before um, but, uh, so it's kind of a, a, a complex, uh, system for sure. Yeah. I, I would suspect, I mean, I, does it create any kind of, I don't want to say friction. I think that's too harsh. Right. But does it create some interesting scenarios where kids are maybe not quite sure if they're going to be back on that same team that they're on now to, and they're, you know, going to nationals and, and all that, or is it, I mean, is it pretty well known and it's just kind of 
part yeah, of the deal. I, no, I think we're still we're still in that phase where I think there is, you know, I, I think every team probably handles that situation differently. And mm-hmm. we're kind of in this weird um, world now where these kids are asking to compete with a group of kids. They know they're not going to play with next year, not a coach, you know, and, and that's not unusual to have a different coach moving into the next season, but maybe even mm-hmm. a different club. Uh, you know, and, and back in the day, it was probably we're representing, you know, you're representing a club and we're going to we're going to win a national championship for that club and that kind of stuff. And I would say that's probably uh, getting more difficult to kind of sell that as a motivation piece, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and keeping kids on task. And, and every team's a little bit different. You know, you got some teams, the kids kind of they they seem to get the parents get. A, hey, this is how it works. But we're just going to compete because we're. Uh, we're we're doing this for us and for our teammates, and then where we all end up next year is a different year. We kind of go from there, and I, I think you've kind of seen that in the college landscape a little bit too with the the, the transfer portal, the portal. Like that, which I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about later. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's a weird world these days. There's not these kids. There's a lot of movement, and uh, it definitely does make it difficult when as these clinics are happening and the kids start talking and the parents. <laughs> even more start talking and everybody's going, who's going here and who's going there. And uh, maybe some animosity actually, uh, you know, her story this year that a, a kid kind of dropped, you know, she notified her team that she wasn't coming back next year. And it kind of caused a little bit of a riff in the, the you know, in the the team chemistry while they were at nationals. And uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I, I definitely felt that this year, probably more than I did last year, this year's team uh, for me, uh, I felt like it was a big – we have a lot of kids going different places, and I felt like it was kind of a big – it was a little bigger uh, piece to the puzzle, you know, than yeah. you want it to be. It, it kind of does mess with your focus and and your work ethic and all those things when it's like, all right, what are we doing this for? This is my old team, and it's not – we're not – you know, selling that as a coach now, that's kind of part – the coaches are taking on a new role, and it's like trying to make sure kids stay – Staying focused on summer's hard enough, but now you got to add that element into it for sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's an interesting dynamic, and uh, and and kind of looking from the outside in, uh, it the, the most important thing in my mind is the development of the kids, right? And being in the right yeah. fit, in the right club, with the right coach, getting the right amount of playing time, and you know, hopefully they see the long game. But yeah, I can see where this could generate some uh, some interesting conversations. Um, can you? Can we just kind of? We'll, step up and out a little bit and talk about maybe the North Texas region as a whole. I mean, can you give kind of your perspective of the state of the union of the North Texas region, or even, you know, USA volleyball across the board? I mean, uh, a lot of teams out there, a lot of different levels. Uh, I love how volleyball is accessible to a lot of people at different levels and levels of commitment, things like that. But, you know, maybe from a North Texas region, I mean, how are you, how are you seeing things? They, they look pretty healthy and they, they do look healthy. I, again, I think there's always moving parts and coming off, you know, COVID everything. The, there was a lot of change in the the world, especially the sports, youth sports world as well. But um, no, I, th- I think the North Texas region is definitely one of the more competitive regions in, in USA volleyball. The question mark about volleyball at this time is we have a couple of new groups stepping into the, the, the volleyball business, if you want to call it that. Um, one of the unique things I think about USA volleyballs, and I think one of the reasons as a, a dad of boys that play baseball and basketball and, and football and play in, in other other areas of youth sports is, is USA volleyball has really done a great job of keeping volleyball in, under one umbrella for for the for a very long time. And we've had some some branching off of JVA, but now we have a new group coming in called Three Step, and we have another one called Love. They've kind of come in and start buying some of these larger clubs and kind of changing their business model and and uh we don't know how that's going to change volleyball as as a kind of a traditionalist to some degree uh and, and really feeling like usa volleyball is big a pain in the, in the butt it can be sometimes with the rules and the regulations mm-hmm. the registrations and things of that nature it's it's kept everybody in the same group so when you say you got a national championship you truly have what most people consider a true national champion because they they competed against every other team in the United States. Whereas in a lot of other sports, you got multiple national championships and different organizations running events uh, and, and national championships. So it's hard to say if the best teams actually competed in certain 
uh, events. And maybe you maybe can look at it like the NCAA football type scenario where they add the playoffs. So we're trying to get a, a true champion. Right. Uh, where a lot of sports, unlike volleyball, I feel like you have to, oh, that's the number one team in the country. Well, it's hard to say that because they haven't competed against some of the other teams based on the way it's, you know, the, their, their sports set up and, and different organizations playing under different umbrellas and that type of thing. So, but. Well, that's very interesting. I hadn't heard that about, you know, three-step and love. So are they going to merge clubs and programs and create overarching organization that has multiple teams or will they keep the brands of the clubs they're buying or do you, what is that going to look like? Well, and that's the key. Um, that that's the, obviously I'm not in the meeting rooms with these guys, but the word on the street is kind of what, what each group is doing is a little bit different. Both of them have a different business model. Uh, three steps sounds like they're trying to buy up clubs and they have a, they have a, a little bit different business model than love. Um, three steps goal is to, to kind of, um, to, to run events, mm-hmm. which, uh, we have national qualifiers, which qualify teams for, uh, nationals in USA volleyball. Um, three steps looking to run similar type events, which obviously wouldn't allow teams owned by three step to compete at the USA level necessarily, potentially, um, um, I think that's kind of their plan is to, to buy up enough clubs when they say they're going to hold an event, there'll be a three-step national championship. Well, if three steps have a national championship or those teams, you know, are they pulled out of USA volleyball and only compete in three-step events, then we're kind of getting to that point where we have a, have a washed out market to some degree. We're losing teams because they're under a different business model and they're running in certain events. Um, and again, I think you see that a little bit in, in the AU basketball world. Um, some where certain teams play in one division, other teams play in another, you know, another league or whatever you want yeah. to call it. Um, so it's a little bit different. Um, and love, love is using the club model to try and support professional women's volleyball in the United States, which we all love. Uh, we think that's great. We love to see that. The question sure. with that business model, is that going to be these girls have an opportunity to go play overseas, just like probably in soccer, where they 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 go overseas and make two, three, four times more money over there than they'll make over here. Uh, so the question is, will the, will the better players stay here and play? Uh, but their objective is to use the clubs, kind of like USA Volleyball uses USA Volleyball to support the national team. Mm-hmm. Love wants to use the clubs to support the professional teams, as you know, professional teams to help pay for, you know, their league and their salaries and all those things for kind of the same setup as maybe like a European soccer where they have all their youth, youth leagues underneath one umbrella. So if you go to Madrid, they have club Madrid, or even in in the United States, you're seeing that more too with some of the professional soccer programs have uh, their youth programs underneath them to help support the professional piece. So that's kind of what I love shooting to do. Okay. Yeah. Wow, very interesting. I uh, yep. that's 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 good to know. I'm sure our listeners will kind of love hearing about that. I just wanted to branch off here for a split second, talking about pro volleyball. I think I saw something. There's an event coming over in Arlington. It seemed to be a yep. professional event kind of thing. So, talk about the path. I'm not familiar with the path of those getting into professional volleyball. Like, do they typically play youth and then go to college and then go to the pros, or now or with the with love? doing what they're doing, are they trying to go direct from, I guess, you know, you finish 18s and then you potentially go pro or no, I, what's I think the path that, to pro? Right. I think uh, you're going to, I think of volleyball still to that point where these kids college is going to be the springboard into the professional uh, realm. Um, uh, I think this, the, Good. the maturity age, all those things play into it. And, that, and that's what you see now. The girls usually graduate from college and a small percentage of those girls, high level, uh, higher, higher level college athletes will have the opportunity to go play overseas and make a little mm-hmm. bit of money. And the question is how long uh, in our sport um, being the sport it is, how long will some of these females choose to play professionally, depending on what kind of money they're making. And, and some are got great careers, you know, they, you know, they, they play five to 10 years, make pretty good money. And then they come back and, and, and get jobs coaching or whatever it may be. Um, but, uh, I think love's kind of that the model's kind of the same thing. And like I said, the question will be, can they keep the American athletes in America playing, uh, it is probably a smaller, fi- you know, financial gain versus going overseas. They can go to certain areas and work for six months and make three figures where over here, they might be making, 
$40,000 playing the same amount of games. So uh, what's the, what's the, you know, that what's the draw, why stay home versus go make more money and maybe make more money in a short amount of time. So, but how that all unfolds. And and again, as, as, as volleyball enthusiasts, we want to see the, the, the pro game grow because uh, I, I think if you ask any of us have been as long as I have been, the, there's frustration with the success or, or promotion of the WNBA. We see basketball, women's basketball continues to grow, but it feels like women's volleyball and women's soccer are both are two of the most popular sports as far as participation goes. And, and you don't see that much professionally in the United States. And it's like, uh, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't jive with us volleyball people and we don't quite understand it. And you see it even from a salary standpoint in college, um, you know, uh, a lot of the women's volleyball coaches still are some of the lower paid um, coaches in NCAA. So really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, is it, you know, like every kid who puts on a, puts on a baseball glove and grabs a bat or grabs uh you know, a football is like, Hey, I'm going to play in the majors or I'm going to play in the NFL one day. I mean, yeah. is that what success looks like for volleyball that girls who are rolling into the, these, <clears throat> these clubs at 11 and 12 or even 10 or younger, or whenever they get started and said, you know, Hey, I think I want to play. I want to be a professional one day. I mean, is that, would that be success? Uh, I mean, I, again, I don't know if, if, or when we'll ever get to that point. I think, you know, uh, a lot of the girls look at the Olympic team and think, okay, that's their, that's the ultimate. Oh, yeah. I want to try and make the Olympic team. Well, obviously we know there's only 12 to 16 girls on the national team, which is a pretty small group compared to how many girls actually play a sport of volleyball. But, you know, I think the next tier down is I want to play volleyball at the next level. I love the opportunity to play in college. And usually typically I think what you see is a lot of girls realize this is a, a, a four to five year, uh, you know, get my degree type of scenario. And then it's time to, to then volleyball becomes a, you know, more of a, a hobby after that, you know, it's a, it was a job to get your school paid for and compete at the highest level. And then I think you see a lot of girls realize that after college is over, it's time to go into the professional world from a work standpoint. We haven't got to that point uh, where the professional leagues you know, do that. And again, to be honest with you, Matt, I don't know in women's sports, I think there's, it's definitely a different, different mindset professionally, you know, there's, it's a, it's a lot of moving parts and it's probably uh touchy subjects is kind of what that, what women want to do as far as that, that aspect, you know, that there's, you know, starting family, being a professional athlete and starting a family and, and getting a job and all those things don't, don't correlate. Uh, whereas in the men's professional sports, it becomes kind of the, the, if I make it as a professional, now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeding my family, that type of thing. So it's right. a, it's got a different um, feel to it, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in thinking about kind of that, the, the path uh, you had mentioned, you know, camps and all that kind of stuff. What I want to do is kind of talk about uh, that path to college and like the college camps and are they important and do you need to do that? Um, you know, maybe we can kind of work backwards here a little bit and, Instead of going from, hey, where do you start to, you know, where are you going to end? So, you know, coming out of youth, uh, you know, so you wrap up your 18 season, you know, talk about maybe the recruiting from your perspective. It probably starts even earlier than that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great programs in the NCAA area and the NCAA. Uh, so, you know, wh- how, when should girls start worrying about college and these camps and all that? Kind of talk about that if you could. Yeah, you know, uh, that's it, it's changed over the last couple of years. Obviously, um, and again, I bring up COVID again, but uh, recruiting is definitely different. And, uh, you know, McKinney, for you, that that COVID was a, um, impactful, still very impactful, I think, for the recruiting class, for the girls that just graduated. For sure. Uh, it definitely was different. And being a 16s coach this year and seeing what June 15th actually meant uh, was different. And I think there's going to be a change again. I think we're this year we saw the – COVID year kind of go. So the need, like the numbers of available scholarships might be maxed out. And again, I might, I might not be accurate on that, but Mm -hmm. the the number of scholarships available this year for this group of 25s uh, 
you know, that are soft going to be juniors, I think is higher than it will be at any point. Because I think with that COVID year and just natural graduation, we have a, we have like a, a huge exit of collegiate athletes and and a lot of opportunity for these kids. And, and I saw that, you know, I was very fortunate to have a great group of kids, but I saw that, you know, June 15th actually had a lot of meaning for this kids. And these kids were overwhelmed to some degree, just to the amount of information that was coming to them from colleges uh, whereas, you know, two years ago, uh, coming off COVID, that it was it was ghost town. Like it, it didn't, you know, like, hey, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what our, how many scars we even have available based on all these different pieces. So uh, this year was definitely different. And uh, with the June 15th date, um, they, the, the NCAA made that rule adjustment, you know, you know, three years ago, we had kids committing when they were 15 years old. Parents are trying to get the kids out at, in eighth grade and, and freshman year to start visiting colleges, um, which is pre- way premature because we got a lot of kids that haven't even developed and we have no idea what they're actually going to be when they graduate from high school from a physical standpoint and a technical standpoint. Um, yeah. So NCAA kind of put some guidelines in place, uh, which changed that a little bit. As far as recruiting goes, you know, every year, I think as soon as kids hit high school as freshmen, the 15 year olds are ready to, you know, kind of start getting into it. Uh, a lot of times they hit that sophomore year and they're really they think it's time, like it's time to it's time to start talking to coaches, all those things. And they don't really understand that the, but the way the rules roll uh, with the June 15th date, uh, it, there's really even as a, as a sophomore, especially during your high school season, there's really not a, any communication with colleges. Uh, you know, and, and saying that, you know, I, I think if parents do a good job of, of kind of figure out what what um, what level of play to start, you know, sending information out to college coaches is the key. Uh, and that's the hardest part, probably, is trying to figure out where your, you know, your daughter wants to play at the next level. And, and to be honest with you, Matt, there's probably an opportunity for you know almost every kid to go play at the next level. Uh, and I say every kid, every. We, we get spoiled yeah. because we have so many high level kids and we joke around that a lot of times, you know, what, what I've coached over the last 15, 20 years uh, is, is uh, the minority. We, we coach all these elite level kids and you've had the opportunity to watch elite level volleyball since you've been involved. Uh, you know, that's, that's over oh, the whole market of volleyball. That's probably 10 to 20% of volleyball, what we see and what we're accustomed to the other 80% is just normal volleyball players and kids that, they play volleyball because they have fun. They're hoping to just play while they're in high school and they're not really pursuing that next level aspect, which is great. I think that's the key piece. We get caught up in Dallas because we're so competitive. Uh, you know, yeah. everybody's going to go play at the next level and there's a ton of opportunities. These kids are playing top team, second team, even third team level in Dallas do have an opportunity to go play somewhere. Uh, you know, not power five opportunities, but they're going to, they're going to have, if they do their homework, they're somewhere out there looking for somebody that just wants to play volleyball at the next level. Uh, you know, as far as recruiting piece go is it, it's, it's, um, you know, really by the time you get to 16 year, you need to start kind of putting information out there, kind of getting video. A lot of these, you know, sports recruits and different applications, um, become important. Uh, but again, one of the things I think we preach or, or recruit coordinators preach too is like, there's a lot of people out there trying to make money off, off parents, um, telling them to find them scholarships. And that is, that's a no, no, yeah, you, whatever they're going to do for you, you can do better probably. Uh, and say, you talk about recruiting services. Oh, and yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. What is what's the, what's the, you know, from a coach's perspective or, you know, an administrator director perspective, like, could you share what your thoughts are on your perspective on that? Because uh, they're they're clearly making money, right? Yeah, yeah. they're they're making money, and, and and obviously being a dad of football boys too, I've been hit up by a couple of these these uh, organizations that you know they what they the product they sell is not a bad product, but what the product they sell is nothing you can't do on your own. Uh, it's about you know the emails are out there, the information you have, all of it. You're going to present that to them, and they're that. You know, even our recruiting coordinators struggle a little bit because a lot, there's a handful of parents out there, maybe more than a handful, that they think a recruiting coordinator's job is for them to email coaches and find them a scholarship. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, no recruiting coordinator is going to find you a scholarship. All they're going to do is send out information, and that's exactly what you can do as a parent. Uh, in our opinion, from a director standpoint, those organizations 
can be helpful, but for what they charge, it's, I don't want to call it a racket because they do offer some good information. They, they a lot of times have some inside Intel. Um, But again, if you're with with a large organization, there's one, one school says I need a middle blocker, but the uh, the organization has 120 middle blockers they represent that are paying them two, $3,000, whatever it may be. Um, All they're doing is helping you build the same, same, um, profile and send the same emails that a parent can send. And that's really what it comes down to. And, and again, parents, if, if parents see a parent that has, there's some parents that are phenomenal and they, they're very organized and they're, they kind of put a system in place. Those are the people that are probably more resourceful than a recruiting. Okay. Well, should I say they're a lot cheaper. Than a <laughs> yeah. Coordinator. They can give you the same information that a recruiting coordinator is. Uh, they can, a lot of times those guys, they've figured out how to get all the email addresses there. There's probably parents out there that are better at that than those recruiting coordinators are. Okay. So, yeah. Do, do you think on the flip side of that, from the college's perspective, when they're looking at kids and, and does a college, these recruiting service people, do they insert themselves between the family and the college that's recruiting them? I mean, can, uh, is that, I, I'm sure at times there's some of those, People in that business do have some connections, but I would think uh, some of these club coaches that have been in it for a long time uh, probably have more of a rapport with these coaches than anybody else. Uh, they've mm-hmm. talked, you know, they've they've sent kids to schools for years, and they they know some of these. I mean, shoot, some of the kids that probably played for them are coaching at certain universities, uh, which is very common uh, with kids coming out of Dallas. We got a lot of girls that played for us that are out and and they're recruiting and doing things. So. You know, I think, again, I, the the recruiting service is not necessarily inserting themselves with a direct program. Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of times the coach, all a recruiting coordinator, I mean, a, a program is going to do in a recruiting process is if they need to find out about a kid, they're not going to call a recruiting coordinator. Is that, that a lot of times they don't know. They've never very rarely even seen the kid play. Uh, the coaches are the best, you know, tool as far as information and find out about a kid and then the parents sending emails to these universities with film and getting on and sports recruits I think is a great it's one of those applications that does cost money but a lot of clubs put that in the dues and have that as part of the the program it's a great resource for some of the small universities to go on and they, they can click on and find a position in a class and and put in specifics and find film on a million kids. Like, oh, wait, I kind of like that kid. And it, that's really the best way for it to all kind of shake down. So, and, and, and again, I guess we're talking about camps too. You know, that's a big one these days. Are these camps money grabs or are they, are they opportunities for these yeah. kids? Actually, are they, are they opportunities for these kids to actually like uh, showcase themselves? And, and typically, yeah, I, I, I see this and uh, I think it happens in every sport. And I think a lot of times that they're, there is some money grab aspect to it. Is there a rare occasion where some kid might come in and surprise, surprise the staff and they didn't know who that kid was? Yeah. But most of the time the kids that they are, they want a camp they've personally invited and they have them there. And, and uh, you know, the other, that's five kids and the other 250 kids at camp are just money grabs. So, yeah, you know, if they haven't reached out to you and you decide to go to the Baylor camp and the odds of, you getting any attention to Baylor camp are probably slim unless, like I said, there's that one rare, you know, kid that's been hiding somewhere that nobody knew about that touches 10, three and, and six, one that somehow nobody knew about that. They'll be like, Holy moly. Who's this kid? You know, I had a good story this year. This is kind of, we had a A&M. Yeah. Shouldn't use the name, but we had A&M. We had a bunch of college coaches at our camp, but A&M kind of saw this libero playing on our, during our college, college coaches camp. A kid that did not play TAB. She was a small club type of kid, and she really caught their attention. And again, I don't know how that'll work out, but I remember the the A and M coach coming up and just saying, "Hey, who is this kid?" I don't have, any, and I'm, of course, I didn't know who she was. You know, in our regions, you know, usually you know who the top top kids are in every age group, and you know, but that was one of those rare deals where she just caught a coach's eye. So there are those rare occasions. But those are the better ones where there's multiple, the showcase type scenarios where there's a bunch of coaches there, um, that type of deal. And uh, the the big camps that be showing up trying to, you know, traveling to the Carolinas to go to a camp is you're hoping they might decide they like you. Uh can be an expensive habit. And then to me, they sure. money grab. And, you know, and if the kids want or parents want that experience, great. But you can't look at it as this is an opportunity to go get a scholarship per se. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the college dynamic is, is interesting, and I'm sure it's stressful for parents. You know, one thing about uh, Welcome to the Club podcast is wanting it to be a little bit educational, and you know, I try to tell parents who are you know getting into this and are you know coming into high school wanting to know, I'm like, you know, the stuff you're worrying about now, you'll I promise you won't really matter here in a couple of years. But again, keep the girls playing, keep them energetic, keep their passion up about volleyball and, um, you know, make it fun. And that's right. hard to do as a parent. So um, so I wanted to shift gears here a little bit and, and kind of talk in as you know, this age group that's, you know, prepping for thinking about colleges, right? They're getting into high school. Can you talk about the balance between high school ball and, and club and, you know, uh, they don't conflict typically. I believe club, you know, starts in, you know, late December and ends, you know, and, and uh, just here recently in, in July and then, you know, school ball starts, you know, early summer when wow. right before school starts. And, you know, so, you know, talk, can you talk about that? I mean, do they, it seems like they complement each other pretty well. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It's, it's, it's rare in volleyball to this point where we have kids not playing high school to focus on club and some other sports, you hear of it soccer you hear a lot of times these kids are on academy teams where there's high level select kids and their coaches are like hey you're, if you're on this team the rule is you can't play school ball because we don't want you to get hurt uh you know and in baseball i don't know that well i assume baseball still a lot of those kids are still playing high school volleyball is the same way i still feel like a lot of kids at least state of texas do play volleyball uh and with their club team and their high school uh, although the seasons seem to be getting uh, more and more uh, close to each other. I, the, the club season's growing. Um, high school season dates have stayed the same, but clubs seem to be starting earlier and ending later every year. Um, so it is kind of getting close to those points where we got a lot of kids that basically, as you know, as a dad, uh, there's not a lot of break in it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's uh, once you're finishing one, you know, it's right into the other. And, uh, and, and again, it, and, and, Luckily for us in, in the state of Texas, or at least in North Texas, you know, Dallas High School volleyball is actually fairly competitive. Uh, we got some great events, so the kids do stay motivated. And that's not every kid. Sometimes there's some kids that play high-level volleyball. Their, their high school program's not quite where they want to be, and they struggle with that that aspect. Is it is it is there value in me playing high school? And so you do see some of that where kids are starting to drop a little bit. Uh, here and there because there's so much access with all these facilities that even if they don't play high school ball, they can stay in a gym and get touches and get reps and, and still improve their skill throughout that fall uh, while taking a little bit of a physical break uh, and emotional and mental break too. So. Yeah. I, I, you know, I found that the, I mean, the, the, the level of compete at, at the club, at least in our experience from a high school perspective, wasn't you know comparable. Right. But yeah there was something about high school ball when you're playing, you know, either with girls that play on competing clubs or you're playing against in the school ball girls that are on your club team. Yeah. It was, it really created a kind of a fun dynamic yeah. in a way. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm obviously pro club sports, having been a dad of three kids going through all these, you know, club and travel sports. Right. But I, I think skipping school ball, to prep for club. I, I, in my opinion, I would say, no, you got to play school. I know it's not maybe where you want it to be at school ball, but boy, I, I think it makes it fun. And the girls seem to stay connected. And well, I, I agree 100%. And I mean, I look like I was able to coach at a couple of great high school environments with good student body support. And I think that obviously if that, if that's the case, that kids in club don't get that opportunity. You go to club tournament, you play in front of, a handful of your parents. It's not the same as playing in front of your student body. And, you know, great point. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a totally different. Uh, it's a, it's, it, it's fun. It's, it, it's, it, uh, it's a different, totally different, um, you know, like feeling as far as what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. Uh, and I agree. I, I think, I, I hope it never changes. It, it, I do get scared sometimes. And again, I think in every, with youth sports has grown so much from a club standpoint, it does scare you at some point, you know, with you hear budgets cuts and things like this and these, 
the school districts, at what point are they going to say, all right, we're just cutting sports, you know, which, which is sad because, you know, I know you talked about us talking about, um, you know, the financial aspect of club sports. And there's a lot of kids at the high school realm is the only way they have a chance yeah. to get involved and participate. And, 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 and like, so you brought this up earlier. One of the biggest things for me is I, I get frustrated a lot of times is in our, in our world, so many kids, well, I'm not going to play anymore because I'm not going to play in college. And I'm like, why is that the only reason? That's not why you started playing this sport when you were 10, 11, 12 years old, you played it because you had fun. And that's, you should play it all, all the way to the point where you can't play it anymore physically because you just like to play. I think we caught up and I'm only playing this. I'm only playing club because I'm going to play in college. And that's that shouldn't be what it's about. It should be about the enjoyment of the sport. It's about getting your kids around other kids that love to do the same thing, keeping them busy, keeping them active. There's so many more important uh values learned through through uh new sports than just getting a scholarship and that's that's a real small piece to it so yeah i mean their main it would it, be tough for me to compare it but i mean i would feel comfortable saying that in my experience volleyball is one of the kind of ultimate team sports right yeah you're independent there's a lot of moving parts and it took me a while to kind of understand the flow and the rules and you know i still get surprised sometimes watching volleyball. like i didn't know that <laughs> yeah. what do you what do you mean that's a lift what are you talking about but i mean it really teaches so many lessons i agree with that and i would definitely encourage again parents who are thinking about getting into this to know that Boy, it really taught some good lessons about depending upon one another, communication, support, accountability, so many things. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. And again, just and then with all the busy schedules and the training and the and the multiple nights, you know, there's just they learn so much. And and again, we're fortunate. I feel like in volleyball too, there's a lot of great uh, families involved in the sport and your kids around kids that you want them to be around and send out trouble and saying busy, you know, there's just a lot of good things to it. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. So uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, cost and, you know, is kind of alluded to, is it cost prohibitive for, for some, for some, um, you know, is it, is, are, are the clubs structured in terms of like level of commitment or level of, uh, you know, the number of tournaments and number of practice stuff like that. I mean, is it, are there offerings within the clubs to go, Hey, if you want to play and, you know, have the ability and you want to play at the top where you're going to, you know, go to four qualifiers and these, you know, big time events and three of them are in different cities. You're going to travel a little bit and we're going to practice twice a week for two hours and have outside, you know, all this other stuff. Do you have that kind of offering in, in your club? And then do you have, Hey, you know, if you want to, you know, play fewer and not travel as much or have fewer practices. I mean, are are clubs structured like that or is it hit and miss and everybody's a little different The teams get to decide? How does that work? Yeah, no, no. Every, the larger clubs are going to have tiers. They're going to have your elite level. They're going to have your, your semi-travel, then your non-travel, and then even what we call our metro teams. And, and a lot of the big clubs offer all those different levels. And then great thing about it is, again, there's a million different clubs. We have, uh, I'm going to guess 150, 200 clubs in our region, maybe more than that. It yeah. might be closer to 500 for at this point. But a lot of yeah. those clubs are elite level. They're offering opportunities for these kids to play in, in six to eight local tournaments and practice one day a week, just keep their hands on the ball through the spring because they're playing other sports or the financial commitment. And as a club director, I think, uh, you know, I took on that role of drive nation come off COVID. I kind of got more involved from a budgeting standpoint. And it's something we've talked about, even when I was in a different role with TAV before uh, trying to figure out how to keep costs down and these type of things, because we're, we know we're eliminating a large population uh, of athletes based on the expense, you know, mm-hmm. you know, club volleyball is extremely expensive. And when you start adding the travel aspect into it, it's uh, uh, off the charts expensive. And obviously I'm, I'm just telling you, because you know, you've been there and you've lived through it, but uh, it, it's tough. And as a club director, it's like, why, why do we do this? And, and the answer to that is we have to do it because that's what the parents want. Uh, or uh, the parents want cheaper, cheaper, cheaper is what they'll tell you. But then when you eliminate some of the competitive aspects, uh, they'll pick more expensive for that competitive aspect versus cheaper. Uh, yeah. 
you know, and I'll go back. I tell a story. Uh, Ebony Wanabu, who's one of the best players ever. I can remember I coached 12 back at TV years ago. I got frustrated. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm taking the babies. I'm going to take these little guys. We're going to, we're going to put together three or four teams. I'm going to train every team. I'm going to run practices like, you know, a skills clinic. Um, we're going to keep it cheap. So we don't have to have as much staff. We're going to dumb down the uniform costs. We're going to wear t-shirts. We're just going to play. We're going to play almost every one weekend and one day tournament. Uh, it sounded great. I mean, cost is down. We got the numbers, but then constantly the question was, well, why, how come they have those <laughs> uniforms and we don't, how come they're playing that tournament? We aren't. Uh, and I'm like, Hey, if I add all these things on, uh, then this is what the cost can be. And to be honest with you, that's the frustrating part. We, we know what we can do to get the cost down. Uh, but all the parents and the coaches for that matter, I mean, may, the parents and I think coaches would be fine with it more than anything is they want to, they want that, you know, let's add a fourth qualifier. Well, a fourth qualifier is going to cost a family two to $3,000 at a minimum to go to another out of town qualifier. You got to fly, you got to get yeah. a hotel, you got to get a car, you got to feed everybody. Yeah. So they, they want to add that. It's like, well, why, why do we want to add that as the question? And it's, you know, well, their college coach is going to be there. Well, at some point, you know, I had a college coach tell me the other day, she, you know, they they want the she, season shorter. And then they want the NCAA to change the rules. And they feel like if um, the college coaches aren't there or aren't allowed, aren't allowed to be there, then the USA Volleyball will kind of dumb down the season a little bit. And I disagree with her because that won't be the case. And college coaches won't be there, but the clubs and these big, big tournament people are going to find ways to run events, whether there's college coaches there or not because there's so much money involved with those events, yeah. they'll find ways to get teams there. And it, it's, 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 uh, it really is you're doing those budgets and you're looking what we're going to charge parents on a monthly basis. It just, it makes you sick and you, and you know, you can't do, you can't, you can't come off that because that means you've got to take a tournament out. And once you take that tournament out, you know, let's say we're TAV and I pull us out of triple crown. Well, everybody says, wait, y'all aren't going to triple crown. So, guys, I'm trying to save you 3000 4000 bucks. Okay, never mind. We're going to go to Skyline because they're going to go to triple crown. So, you'll start losing kids, you know, competitive kids to go to other clubs because they're willing to, just for that that extra event, they're willing to, to foot the bill. And it's it's a it's a crazy game and it's frustrating yeah. at times. But. So, I was going to ask, I've always wondered this, do clubs offer scholarship or sponsorships for certain mm-hmm. players? I mean, can you use uh, is that against they, the they do that has become more and more common and i think you know you hear horror stories about it in AU basketball and things like that there's a lot of teams where they're fully sponsored and things like that we do not as far as i'm aware there's none of that going on in volleyball but a lot of clubs do try and offer financial aid to families in need, you know, and, and that's a question mark. Are they all in need? I'm, I guess is the question. And, but yes, there's, there is financial aid. Uh, some clubs just offer it and some clubs require you to fill out an application and, and different things like that, which is the, the right way to do it. Fill out application and enter financial, you know, financial uh, numbers. So we, a club can kind of say, yeah, Hey, you look like, yeah, we see you probably need some help. We'll give you a, this kind of discount or that kind of discount uh, for sure. You know, our sibling discount. So we've got one family in our club that has four kids that play for us. So oh, wow. yeah, that, 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 so it's like, man, that's going to be a challenge financially. So four of them, one's bad enough. Four's uh astronomical especially they're all top team kids too so it's not like they're playing on the lower level team so but yeah so yeah no to answer your question yes definitely all i would say probably every club offers you know depending on what kind of club they are will offer some type of assistance for kids and and there's a club there's a club called starlings uh that's a national club um they're a non-profit which a lot of clubs are signed up as non-profit uh, that's kind of a yeah legality standpoint. A lot of club sports, I think that's kind of the that used to be the way it operated. I feel like that's changing more and more. Um, they're operating more as LLCs these days. But um, so meaning for profit, yeah, for profit. Yeah, um, there because there's so many. There's certain benefits of being nonprofit, but then proving your nonprofit's an issue when there's you know there's tournaments and there's. You know, from a, the club to do standpoint, you almost have to split it. The volleyball part can be nonprofit, but when you start running tournaments and and clinics and camps, well, those are obviously going to be profit. Those aren't going to be nonprofit unless you're charging nothing. So, yeah. 
Wow. Very, very interesting. I, I, I know that the commitment level of club sports. That's one thing I want, you know, our, our listeners here to take away from all the different podcasts and all the sports. I think one of the common factors, <clears throat> many of the common, there are many common factors, but one is that it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a family commitment. Um, but there's so much positive stuff that can come out relationships and just fun. And, and, um, and like all the stuff we talked about from a development perspective, um, so I want to ask a little bit about, uh, I think some of the clubs may, you know, they may have a reputation for being better for younger players and have a strong, you know, younger age groups. So they may start them, you know, I don't know, nines or tens. And then other clubs have a reputation for being, yeah, when you, you're serious and, you know, 16, 17, 18s, you want to be over here at this club. Is that true in your opinion or yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely some clubs. I mean, there's a lot of clubs that 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 their youth numbers are just through the roof. And and I think the answer to that is a lot of the little kid numbers is, in my opinion, geographical location more than anything. I, if I'm a parent of a fourth grader and I want to get her involved in volleyball, I'm not going to drive 45 minutes to get her volleyball if I don't have to. If I get there's a club next door uh, that I yeah. can her off at and she can start learning to play the game until we decide this is what we really want to do, then those those clubs will benefit. So there's clubs like there's a club called NRG in Mansfield and uh, EMV's out Northwest Fort Worth. Uh, um, you know, Mad Frog obviously is one of the best at, at youth. They they started a youth program years ago and it's blown up. And they and they, they their youth programs actually probably a little bit different than a lot of the other ones because they do actually pull kids from different vicinities because they've got they've got so good at it. they pull all the little sisters and, and things like that these parents who kind of understand club sports but a lot of those fourth graders and fifth graders their 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 knowledge of what this is all about they don't they don't have that information so they they find these club these uh neighborhood clubs mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of these clubs you know their numbers are crazy as far as the little kids go uh, but, but again i think a lot of that's based on where they're facilities are located obviously drive nation we're in the middle of dfw airport and we're close to grapevine and south lake and that but we're still a 20 minute drive from some of those locations where there's clubs within their their community that are five minutes away so i think that they're going to pick that no matter what the level of level of coaching and skills and things like that is because plainly the parents don't even know what to expect in those they just want them on the court you know doing stuff they're not quite sure what they're supposed to to learn and to to you know those type of things so they're you know like i said and some of the parents who've had had kids in the game they kind of understand that well they know and it's time to start we're gonna start you in fifth grade but we're gonna drive the mad frog because that's the the better train young kid stuff you know so and there's a couple of those clubs for sure yeah okay yeah. Um, so let's talk about coaches for a second. Uh, I suspect, uh, I think as you mentioned, uh, one of your big roles as a executive director is recruiting coaches and, and getting coaches. So, you know, what are the, you know, the characteristics you're looking for? Maybe a better way to put it is, you know, from a parent's perspective, they're trying to figure out, you know, they've got a couple of choice between two clubs. They're not quite sure, you know, what should they be looking for in a coach? How do they determine that. And, and again, you know, I'd love to hear about, you know, what are you looking for in someone yeah. to come in and coach in your club? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a interesting, that's a tough one too. Cause I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously I get the opportunity to watch coaches in the gym uh, all the time, whether they're coaching for other clubs or doing lessons in our own gym, those type of things. And a lot of times you see certain characteristics like, okay, this coach has kind of got it. And, and, and again, they might not always have all the knowledge. And I think sometimes that's our thing in our, in our region, to be honest with you, that probably, we're just like officials in our region and probably in every youth sport, I'm assuming coach coaching, finding good coaches is, is hard to do. And it's it, just not enough of them. Uh, and when you get the good ones, it's hard to keep them in it. it, it we've gotten this sport in volleyball where, like I, we were talking about earlier, it's such a year round deal. A lot of back when I first started coaching club was a, you know, a four or five month little, you know, hobby, uh, yeah. Now when you want to coach club, you're, you got a commitment to go to clinics and, you know, you got to go to clinics and in the month of May, if you're, if you're <clears throat> uh, preparing for nationals, 
you could be in the gym literally four nights a week because you got clinics two nights and you got your practices the other two nights. And for for a person who has a, a regular nine to five, that's a challenge. And, and, and what value is it to do it? Uh, because you're not making a bunch of money. You're you're away from home. It's it's tough to keep a lot of our good coaches because yeah. of those things. Uh, we're kind of we're kind of squashing our own uh, uh, coaching um, uh, pool a little bit. So yeah. it's tough. But you know, if I'm a parent, I'm looking at and I do this as a dad as well. What am I looking at? And I think energy is important. You know, when I when I say energy, I'm not talking raw raw cheerleader type stuff. I'm talking you know like engaged in the practice that, you know, the kids walk in they they grab them, they get them organized. I think that that's a key piece. You see structure more important than anything, you know, then the, some coaches might not be great at teaching, but if they implement structure, especially at a younger age, I think that's going to have a lot of value. Uh, and, okay. and I think that that goes a long ways. You know, you can tell by watching the way they even run a lesson or, or, or clinic. they're working the clinics and they're out on the court and you can kind of tell which coaches, some just kind of stand back and don't do a whole lot. And some are getting out there and kind of, you know, involved and engaged. That means they're probably going to be that way in your practice too. Uh, um, so I think that's a key piece, uh, you know, and, and again, I think a lot of times I can tell that I get some, some of our ex players, younger girls, shoot, even some of our 18s, I can tell you sometimes that, that she would be a good coach. I don't always get them in the gym. Yeah. They don't choose to become coaches, but you can tell by their personality and uh, the way they deal with kids, you know, they come work at camp and they're, they're out there, they're active. And you got others that, that just, you're real like timid and, and, and kind of they, their personality doesn't allow them to get out there and kind of just, you know, talk to kids. Uh, but uh, I think that's key. The, the really energy organization uh, that those are key pieces for sure. Yeah. Can yeah. you, can you provide, I know it'd be interesting uh, for me and definitely for our listeners, can you provide a range of what uh, a head coach makes at a club? That, to be honest with you, Matt, that is amazing how much that varies across the country. And, and again, the state of Texas, you know, a, a club coach, you know, if they made a thousand dollars a month, they're doing pretty good. And there's some that are higher than that and some that are lower as a head coach and assistants yeah. to be not far off that. Uh, and again, because it, it's hard to keep anybody around unless it's pretty close to that. Um, so you're looking 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, down to 900, 800, depending on what level teams are coaching or how many tournaments they're playing in, how many nights they practice, those type of things. You know, but I talked to clubs uh, in Ohio. They're paying 400 bucks. They they pay 400 bucks a month. Or in Detroit, they're paying 400 bucks a month. And I'm like, how do you get these guys to come out and do that? And yeah. There might be more details to maybe they 400 plus they get – paid for every practice or something different. And they don't tell me that. I don't know, yeah. but it's, it's very, it, I, don't, I don't know how they get. These coaches. guys aren't getting rich. Yeah. These they're definitely not, not getting, getting rich. rich. No. I, and again, I, for what we require these coaches to do these days and, and we're fortunate TAB, we got a lot of guys, they do it full time. And uh, so they're available. They do a lot of different stuff and they want to be there because that's kind of what they do. That's that, that's their source of income. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of clubs when you got teachers and coaches and things, it's really tough to get them be in the gym as much as the sport now requires us to be in a gym. And, you yeah. know, parent, I mean, we got fall clinics and you got spring clinics and you got practices and it's like, but you have to be at all. And then you get throw the camps in there, you know, too. It's like a, we to staff those and we're asking coaches to do a lot. So yeah. Do you do you think the coaches make more money in private instruction than they do? Uh, for sure. Yeah. No, that's yeah. hard. That's that's a big challenge. I mean, that's when from a staffing standpoint, that's tough as a, a coach will, you know, they'd rather instead of coming up and working a clinic for me at you know 30 dollars an hour, which is great, but it's only two hours. Yeah, a lesson and make fifty to hundred bucks, depending on how much they charge and how good they are. Yeah. Uh, so if they're you know want to maximize their time, make more money, so that therefore that you got to pay them a little bit more to work your stuff, or they'll be like, no, I'm good. They'll run off and do four lessons on Saturday and make what they would have made in two days of camp. Yeah. Uh, but they work ten more hours in the camp than they did during their four hours of lessons. So yeah, no, they definitely lessons are the route to go. And again, as a parent, and I, I feel this as a parent, I, my boys 
with baseball and I got one's quarterback and football and quarterback lessons are crazy expensive, but you know, it's always, it's, it's crapshoot. Every time you show up at a lesson too, when you find a new instruction inst- instructor, what do what are you getting value wise? I'm paying 80 bucks to hundred bucks an hour, but what did you just in baseball? I, I've been to lessons where I felt like they just literally sat there and put a ball on a tee. I paid him a hundred bucks to put a ball on a tee and let him swing at it. I'm like, <laughs> I could have made his twin, his twin brother do that. So that would have been saving a bunch of money. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's tough. And, and again, I see a lot of coaches. I'm, I, I'm guilty of it as a director. I have coaches within our organization. They give lessons. They charge the same amount I do, and they're first year, second year coaches. Uh, so obviously, quality of instruction shouldn't be <laughs> the same as it is. Yeah. Somebody that's been at thirty years, but they're charging the same amount, and that and that's the hard part about it. But again, some of the kids really respond to those. You know, they're just getting those. It, the instruction is not great, but the relationship building and the <clears throat> the energy and the passion for the sport is there. And so that, that might have more impact at some at a younger age for some of these kids than me, me as an older coach grinding on them and trying to break everything down to T, which, uh, so there might be some value there too, but. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I'm going to plug my own podcast here. Uh, I would encourage folks to go listen to our episode two, where we had Josh Florin talk, who's president of the Coppell baseball association, talking about he's got two boys and playing baseball and, and the outside instruction piece. And I, I want to go on record saying that I believe that outside instruction is critically important for development. I think it's, uh, I think it's just um, a little bit of a differentiator to be honest, but again, you got to find that right coach and that right instruction because um, maybe they're, they can drive that passion that you talked about, Jason, and maybe they can, you know, or they are technically proficient in a particular area and they can really you know, make improvements. So I, I, uh, I just want to make sure that, you know, my stance is that outside instruction is, is really important. So, um, well, Jason, you've been just absolutely very gracious with your time. I know you, you've got a lot going on. I, I think you've got, you're hitting the, the uh, clinic trail here pretty soon, maybe for school even. So that may start up. Yep. High school camp season starts next week. So does it really? Yeah. These kids will be getting back in the gym and start prepping for high school season. I got coaches floating around doing a lot of different camps around the area and uh, start getting these guys ready to go. Yeah. Do you get any free time at all? I mean, y'all, you're able to take a little time off. Well, or is, is unfortunately it- for me, and again, I did, I did the I did the double double duty with the high school coaching and the club for I think 14 seasons. Uh, was very fortunate to have great high school programs. But when you do it that way, literally, it's it's you leaving a camp and you're walking into two days. Uh, so there's not a lot of time <laughs> to actually take a break. Uh, luckily for me, now, now that I'm not doing high school, I'm focused just on club. Uh, in the fall, my boys playing football, I get to be a, a football dad in the fall and a little fall baseball with a little one and, and and football with him as well. So that's that's kind of a break. So, yeah, that, that's the hardest piece, like I said, for the families involved in these youth sports. It, it's tough. My wife uh, questions it every, every all the time with the boys and what I do, too. It's like uh, this this youth sports stuff is crazy. Just go, 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 go. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to fall get here and, uh, watch a little football and, uh, tailgating before some Allen football games and, and get ready to go. So, well, good for you, man. Well, Hey, listen, once again, thanks so much for taking the time to, to share your thoughts and, and be a part of this. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very interesting and, um, have a good rest of the day and have a good weekend and good luck, uh, heading into the rest of summer and the fall. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. And, and uh, uh, anytime love to jump on with you guys and, and, and discuss youth sports and the sport of volleyball. Yeah, we'll do. All right. Thanks again. Jason. Thanks, Matt. Yep. What a great conversation with Jason. I mean, just an absolute wealth of knowledge and insight, not only for DFW club volleyball or the North Texas region, but really club volleyball nationwide. His insights around some of the new business models, especially with, I think you mentioned three-step and love, um, moving to new models of club volleyball, but specifically for love, trying to create professional paths here in the United States for volleyball players. The other thing that really stuck out for me, and I'd love to hear feedback from the listeners through our social media channels for Welcome to the Club, 
but really the comment and thinking around parents driving the demand for a tremendous club volleyball experience in terms of more qualifiers, more events, more training, better uniforms, and how that drives the cost. And so that balance between trying to manage costs down, make it accessible and economical for everybody, but yet demanding that they play more tournaments and have outside workouts and all that stuff, I thought was extremely interesting. So, and I suspect we'll have Jason back when we start talking about parents and uh, fun stories at the club volleyball scene. So with that in mind, thanks for tuning in and welcome to the club.